talk so welcome guys thanks for um tuning in because we missed you guys anyway uh i just wanted to talk about the world wedding because last week was the world wedding and we uh were pretty much indifferent i think that's pretty fair to say were you guys up at 4 a.m or 5 a.m or whatever time <laughs> we had to be up to wait but but but, but there's a 4 a.m i didn't know that <laughs> <laughs> I think it was like locally uh, we're on the east coast so I think it was up and on at like 4 o'clock in the morning uh, some women you know are just really not even women some people for whatever reason are really into um, world weddings and fascinated by them um, uh, like I'm it's like I love love but I just felt indifferent like it was just like I think I don't know because I didn't know who Meghan Markle was before this. It's not like I was her fan, and then it was like, oh my gosh, like my fave is getting married to this prince or whatever. So I just didn't have any real feelings about it. Um, I do know a lot of people in my circle were like, oh, but she's a black woman, and I even saw there was like a tweet by Dio Hughley that tried to say, oh well, Meghan Markle couldn't verbally say Black Lives Matter, but she showed Black Lives Matter today at that wedding because of some of the elements there that made it pretty black. Um, (laughs) There was, like, a choir. Um, There was definitely a black uh, bishop or a preacher from North Carolina who brought the typical church experience and church more like you know, Chech with no R or whatever, brought that to the uh, to the wedding. Um, I just, to be honest, I was more excited about about the celebrities that were there. Like, I was excited to see Idris Elba dressed up and Oprah and Serena Williams. Her braids looked great. She had on sneakers for the reception. My kind of girl. Like, why not? That was those are the things that fascinated me. But the idea of a black woman marrying, you know, somebody in the royal family or a biracial woman marrying someone in the royal family who is not ever gonna be king. Yeah. Ooh, I guess. <laughs> it's like you know, it's like we know that she's not gonna make it to Queendom, so I don't know. And even if she was, I probably wouldn't be any more excited. But anywho, I figured uh, I'll share these random things of things that she cannot do, which kind of further lets me know uh, being the Duchess is not all it's cracked up to be. 
So one of the things that Meghan Markle is not allowed to do anymore is have her own social media account, hmm. which I have the one to know. I mean, because I can see how that would be, you know, somewhat scandalous. She definitely closed all of them down when they got engaged. But I could see having, how, having her so, own social media account would be problematic. But I do wonder, though, does she have, like, a secret one? Like, how can they stop her from setting up, like, a secret one with maybe no pictures, no posts, but if she wants to get up and scroll through the shade room, you know, or any blog sites that I enjoy, then, like, what's what's stopping her from that? Like, do they have somebody monitoring that activity? Like, how does that work? I don't know. But, I, I mean, I, I, when, I, when I heard that, I, and I did hear that, that one part about her not having her own social media account, I figured it would just be one that's just monitored by uh, her her handlers, for lack of a better term, you know, to say what she can and can't post. But, but, I mean, I figured she'd be a, at least able to, like, browse the Internet. <laughs> I know I'm making it sound too draconian, but, you know, I, I figure, you know, uh, you, you figure somebody like, like Donald Trump having his own uh, account and all the trouble it causes. And then basically he, they found out that they went to court and they found out that he, he's not allowed to block people, you know. But unfortunately, all the people that he blocked has to stay blocked, but now he can't block any people in the future or some, some garbage like that. But, I mean, I can understand that for a royal family, like someone having, especially somebody younger, how old is Meghan Markle? I don't know. She's got to be in her early 30s. She's not that yeah. old. She's older than Harry, though. She's probably yeah. early to mid-30s. So somebody who is that uh, that young, comparatively, you know, I could see mischief happening on social media. Like she says the wrong thing, it looks bad on the family. But I think she may she should at least have an account where she could just browse the interwebs and, and instead of just not, you know, running off at the mouth because, you know, it's, it's so easy for people to get in trouble on the Internet because everything you say is scrutinized. So on the one hand, I understand, but I, I hope there's more to it and that she's not just banned from social media, period. So. No, I think she, I think she is because it would just be too problematic. But I would hope they would at least, like, allow her to set up a fake account where she can – at least stay engaged because as a former actress, I could imagine that's really hard. Like you're still used to that Hollywood scene, and even though like she wasn't somebody I had ever heard of before the wedding, but it was just like when you look back and it's like, oh damn, like she she was pretty established. She had a pretty established career. I would say better than a lot of people who went to Hollywood and tried to get on. So. I don't know. That that's what would be difficult for me. But oh, to answer your question, she's thirty six, and okay. Harry is thirty three. And I I will say this: even though Harry's <laughs> Harry's the younger brother, I was quite concerned for um, I was quite concerned for Harry once upon a time. But to me, as far as his facial features are concerned. But he has become the better looking brother. She got the winner in the bunch. So shout <laughs> out to him. <laughs> oh yeah. And now that now that uh Harry's getting older, he's starting to look more like his pops. 
I didn't see it before, but he really does look more like his pops. Anyway, shout out to her. Anyway, uh, so there's some other, like, ridiculous things up here. Like, she can't, she obviously can't act anymore, which I guess kind of takes, I guess those are the things that bother me. Like, she can't be an actor anymore. She can't, and I'm, I can kind of see that, but yeah, not really. And I'm pretty sure she knew that before she got married. I mean, it's not like, now that you're married, here's things you can't do no more. I'm pretty sure she knew all of that beforehand. But, you know, I, I guess between between being an actor, I mean, it's not like she was like Meryl Streep. So it's like between being an actress and being a duchess, you know, I, I think I she know, probably... Like, if I really loved what I did, I don't know if I could give it up even for love. Like, Like, really, really loved it. Unless it was just a job, yeah, if I'm just, like, if I have, like, a regular, regular, like, job or even if it wasn't a regular job and I started doing something that I that I wanted to do just because, just because it made good money and I didn't really enjoy it, I don't know if I'd step away from it. I don't know, what about you, like, would you step away from work if, you're, <laughs> if your woman was like, uh, no, you're going to be a kept man and, like, assuming that you have no problem being a kept man. And she was just like, yeah, I need you to give up work. And you really loved your job. Would you give it up? It all depends. Because you, well, the whole thing about being a kept man thing, I think that's just a whole, that's just a whole nother story altogether. Because yeah, I, 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 you like being a kept man, we're, talk, we're not talking about gender norms or anything like that. But yeah. if you really enjoyed what you did for work, would you step away for, from it for love? That's a tough one. I mean, you figure like this. I mean, if I was, like, let's, let's just use acting as an example. If I was on the level of, like, uh, Denzel Washington or something like that, then the answer would be no, you know. But if it was just one of those things where I just act in a whole bunch of soap operas and it just barely pays the rent, you know, just mm-hmm. waiting, for my, waiting for my big break that I started doing, you know, I, I graduated from Juilliard 17 years ago and now I'm doing soap operas you know, Mexican soap operas and stuff, yeah, I could easily give it up. <laughs> yeah, so it on your level of success. Don't leave on the telenovelas, though. The telenovelas be, be paying bills out here. <laughs> oh, no. They're, they're extremely popular, and I was just like, I didn't know until I was watching, uh, what was I watching, Psych, and they had an episode. And I didn't, I didn't know that uh, James Roday, who plays uh, Sean Spencer, was half Mexican, so he knows... Spanish pretty well, and they had an episode where they were doing a telenovela, trying to find a killer on the set. So, but I didn't realize until then that how popular they were in the United States, because they're ridiculous, and people kind of like that. <laughs> exactly. No. Yeah, I'm sure, like you said, she. it's not like this is news to her. She She already knew what was up, so she's accepted the terms and conditions, and Hopefully she'll get a happy, happily ever after. Yeah. Ain't nothing wrong with that. All right. So I want to transition over. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to, like, be negative Nancy, but this story caught my eye, and it has me cracking up. So Rachel Dolezal is back. <laughs> go on. Go on. I'm sorry. 
who this is. This is the white woman who pretended to be black for years and years and years until um, a news anchor basically called her out and asked her if those were her parents in the picture, and they were. And they were two white people, very, like, Scandinavian white-looking people. They were white-white. Uh, no denying, but apparently this woman has been passing, but passing is black for years. So this woman, did you know she actually changed her name? She t- legally changed it to Nikishi Diallo. <laughs> no, that I did not know. <laughs> N-K-E-C-H-I Diallo. Oh, this woman, man. She is the gift that keeps on giving. Anyway, even though I don't want the gift. Um, she's reportedly <laughs> first-degree theft by, by welfare fraud, perjury in the second degree, and false verification for public assistance. Investigators from Washington's Department of Social and Health Services, uh, DSHS, started to investigate Dolezal in March 2017, after the release of her book, In Full Color, Finding My Place in a Black and White World. The investigator said he heard that Dolezal said she was getting public assistance, but realized that publishing contracts can come with advanced payments of ten dollars to $20,000. So basically, this woman snitched on herself. Okay. The investigator says that Dolezal claimed her only source of income was usually less than $500 per month in child support. Records show that from 2015 uh, to present, Dolezal had deposited about $83,924 into her bank account. Oh, my gosh, this woman. You know, I'll put it like this. You know, there was a a story that happened out in Long Island back in the 80s, in the late 80s, early 90s, when I was a teenager. And there were these crooked cops who were basically uh, stealing drugs from drug dealers and then reselling them themselves. So they were making so much money selling drugs, they wouldn't even go pick up their paychecks. So their paychecks are sitting in payroll, like six, seven, eight weeks worth of paychecks, and they wouldn't even go pick them up because they were making so much money selling drugs. Maybe, uh, maybe that's kind of what happened. Maybe she started making all this money you know, from this book deal, and then didn't realize, oh, yeah, I'm still getting these welfare checks. I'm trying to give her the benefit of the doubt here because I, I don't see her as, like, a, a purposeful welfare cheat because you figure even in stuff like voter fraud, like in-person voter fraud, 99% of it is basically people who just didn't know the rules and just uh, voted at the wrong place, you know, filled out the wrong forms. Most of it is just, you know, there's not that many purposeful welfare cheats out there, you know. So I'm trying to give her, I'm trying to give her the benefit of the doubt and just figured, okay, I started making this new money and forgot to cut off the old money, you know. But, I mean, it's the, it's fact, that like she, the fact that she's a white woman trying to be black, that just makes it even worse because you know the whole myth about black people and welfare. Right, 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 right. And that, but you know what? That that to me is the poetic justice of it. So, you know how like every time something crazy happens, right? And you're like, man, please don't let it be a black person. Please don't let it. Like a little part of me just says, please don't let it be a black person. 
so that we don't look bad. A part of me smiles every time Rachel Dolezal does something because I know that white people are built that way too. And then when they see it, they're like, oh, fuck, here she go out here making us look crazy. Because no matter how much she proclaims to be black, she's still one of them. <laughs> oh, man. She doesn't crazy. Like, if she is any representation of what it is to be white, she got them out here looking crazy. And that is hilarious to me. It's funny you mentioned about the, about the uh, don't be black thing because there was a story, it was on Young Turks. There was a woman who was driving drunk, right? And she tried to say that the cop uh, sexually assaulted her and tried to say, like, if you have sex with me, I'll let you go. Something like that. But, but the cop's body cam was on. And the cop handled the situation pretty much perfectly, right? And they showed in the video, like, when he put her in the car, and, and the uh, JR, the, the, uh, the, the producer, noticed that, because Jenk uh, said that, he, that JR noticed this, like, when he's putting the seatbelt on her, he's taking special care not to touch her, because he only has to put it across her lap. So the cop is taking special care not to touch her with the seatbelt, you know? And... If the cop's body cam wasn't on, it would just been her word against his, and it could have been a mess. But but the first thing I said when I saw the story was, "Don't be black, don't be black." Oh, this bitch is black. God fucking damn it! Like I was that mad, you know? Because you know, being African American, every African American that does something right, it's affirmative action. Every time they do something wrong, it reflects on every black man, woman, and child in America. So yes. I was like, don't be black. Don't be black, oh, you black bitch. Fuck you for, for setting back 10 years. Welfare has historically not, uh, black people do not take advantage of welfare. No. Um, numbers statistically say, like, black people are not really using welfare out here like that. So the fact that it's a white woman on welfare and she, um, you know, is out here scamming the system, inadvertently or not, he's out here scamming the system, that reflects on y'all. Now, I do wonder, though, what census box uh, Rachel Dolezal checks when she's on these things, though. She probably does check black, so it, it's us on paper, but in real life it's them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I will say this in defense of Rachel Dolezal. Two things. Number one, not, not for the whole welfare thing. That's a different matter altogether. She grew up in a crazy Christian fundamental home. And if I grew up in that home, I would want to be someone else really badly. And her losing her job at the NAACP, even the NAACP, well, I mean, she didn't lose her job. She quit after she got found out. The NAACP does not have a color requirement. So anybody can work for the NAACP. So there's... So, because even the people at the NAACP was like, she didn't have to quit. She wasn't being reprimanded. You know, anybody right. can work for the NAACP. So there's no, there was no reason for her to quit other than the fact that she got found out. You know. But if I, if I grew up in the household she grew up in, I'd want to be someone else really badly. <laughs> so. Hmm. Well. Yeah, that's that's all I had. I'm gonna keep it light today. Uh, yeah, that's all I got. 
All right. So I was uh, had a couple topics today, but as always, the fact that I'm always reading the news and people put a lot of stuff on Facebook and a lot of feeds and stuff like that, there's always a, there's always a point where I have something written and then something pops into my into my feed and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna do this instead. But uh, what popped into my feed was a gentleman named uh, Matthew Charles. Now, Matthew Charles was convicted back in 96 for uh, selling crack, right? And that's back when they had these crazy uh, drug laws where at that time one gram of crack held the same weight. When I say weight, I mean as far as sentencing, as 100 grams of cocaine. Now, keep one thing in mind. Crack is predominantly an inner city, like, black drug, according to, because here's the thing that I always, that I noticed, and I mean, I should be, be watching the right channels at the right time. When I see black people on crack outside of entertainment, like New Jack City and stuff like that, when I see black people on crack, I see it on the news, right? They always show black people getting arrested, black people high on crack, giving interviews, stuff like that. But... When I saw white people on crack, it was on documentaries. Like there was HBO documentary. I think, I think Boston got hit hard by the crack epidemic, and then there was like a documentary about these people coping with their lives and stuff like that and putting a more human spin on the crack epidemic when it started to hit white people, you know. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's always been that whole, uh, if you're white, you're sympathetic. If you're black, you're a demon or a devil. And I know, I, I know that there's some newscast, some news lady who just jills off in the shower every time she sees a black man on crack giving an interview. I know there is, you know. So he got 35 years in prison for selling crack. 35 years. So he had served 20 years of his sentence when uh, President Obama, and, you know, it's funny, Blue and I were talking about uh, – Jack Johnson, not the singer, <laughs> the boxer, you know. Uh, we were talking about him in the, in the last show because Donald Trump pardoned Jack Johnson posthumously. So when I was reading into it, I found out that Jack Johnson, they had brought up for him to be posthumously pardoned back when Bush was president, but it didn't pass Congress. So it passed the House, but it didn't pass the Senate, right? When it came around again, while Obama was president, it passed the House and the Senate, but Obama wouldn't pardon him. You know? And if you read with Jack Johnson's history, you can probably find out why. But um, Donald Trump pardoned him. Jack Johnson was basically, he served a year in prison. Put it like this. He, he fled the country after he was convicted for six years and then came back and still had to serve his year in prison. He, he, he turned himself in. You know, uh, basically, Jack Johnson was the first black heavyweight champion, and he liked uh, white women and black prostitutes. <laughs> Joe figure. But um, there was a law that they put on the books that said that transporting women across state lines for the purpose of immoral acts is uh, punishable by jail time. It was basically a law that they put on the books to discourage interracial dating. You know, Jack Johnson in his, in his preference for white women makes sense when you look back into his history. Jack Johnson grew up in a, in a predominantly white town, 
but they were kind of out of the way town. So everybody was poor, and there weren't people there telling them, hey, blacks are beneath you. So he was treated as equals by all of his friends. So most of his friends were white, and he was treated as equals by these people. And he, said, and he mentioned in his biography, he was like, um, I ate at their homes. I slept in their homes, you know. And I was seen as an equal, and no one ever told me, hey, you're inferior to white people, or white people are superior to you, which is Proof that, well, water proof that if there is no one there to mess with the, the human ecosystem, as I call it, then people are just people, and the color of your skin doesn't matter. So the fact that when you, once you learn that fact, the fact that he prefers white women, ah, you know, but he's a boxer. He's like, he's like the world's first Mike Tyson. So, you know, he, he's all over the place, actually. But basically, a prostitute... Uh, testified against him, and he got a year in prison. Now, I, I figured it like this. If I'm Obama, right, I would rather spend my time freeing people like Matthew Charles, right, who are living, breathing people put in prison for horrible amounts of time for crimes that, while is, are punishable by prison time, they're not punishable by 35 years. There are murderers and rapists who don't get 35 years in prison. Mm. So Obama had a thing for nonviolent drug offenders. And he was like, well, these people, while they deserve to be in prison, they've long since served their time, so it's time for them to get back into society. So he passed right. the, um, the Fair Sentencing Act. Right. So, you know, priorities. So, Jack, um, so Obama was like, yeah, it's not really worth my time to pardon a dead man, you know, when I could be concentrating on people who are alive, you know. So, because of the... Uh, Even when he tries to do something right, he still fucks it up. You know, and, and, and here's my thing, right? As far as pardoning Jack Johnson, I don't care. And when I say I don't care, I mean... Uh, Neither does Jack Johnson. What's up? Neither does Jack Johnson. Yeah, because he's been dead since 1946. <laughs> you know? Exactly. So, so I, I'm pretty sure there's not, you know, someone, he's not like in his coffin like, oh, thank you. Thank God I don't have that conviction on me anymore. Now I can get a real job. You know, he's been dead for 70 years. Okay? So the whole posthumous pardon thing is just a waste of time. If they really wanted to pardon him, they should have pardoned him while he was still alive. I know he grew up in the Jim Crow era, so that probably wasn't going to happen, but still. It's just, it's just ceremony. It's just a waste of time. You know. But uh, here's, the, here's the kicker, right? On May 14th, the Trump administration sent Matthew Charles back to prison. So I skipped the part here. Under the Fair, uh, Fair Sentencing Act, Matthew Charles was freed. So after 20 years in prison, Matthew Charles was released from prison. So here's the thing. He wasn't pardoned. So he didn't get an official pardon or an official... Uh, his sentence wasn't commuted. He was just simply, oh... Now that the new sentencing uh, guidelines are in place and then they work uh, retroactively, 
you are now a free man because now with the sentencing, you have long since served your time. So they released him, right? But now, as of May 14th, they put him back in prison because of a, I don't want to call it a loophole, but you figure they said, well, because he'd had a, a previous conviction before that, he is now listed as a career criminal. So career criminals are not eligible for early release. So they put him back in prison to serve out the rest of his sentence, which would be another 15 years. Let me, let me put it to you like this, okay? You figure somebody like Scooter Libby, and I know you're probably like, what the hell is a Scooter Libby? Scooter Libby worked for uh, Dick Cheney, right? Uh, Scooter Libby is the one who outed uh, Valerie Plain, who was a CIA agent, Right? So um, he was basically supposed to serve uh, 30 months in prison because they got him on a whole bunch of perjury charges, lying to a grand jury, all this stuff. He basically outed Valerie Plain because she was the wife of a, uh, I don't know if he was a diplomat or whatever he was, but they sent him to Africa to investigate if Saddam Hussein was trying to buy uranium from the Africans to make bombs. And he came back and he was like, no, I did a, a in-depth uh, investigation and there was no, uh, there was no proof that Saddam Hussein was trying to buy uranium. And when he tried to squash it, he did an op-ed in one of the major newspapers. I don't know if it was the Times or the Post, but he did an op-ed in a newspaper. And that's when Valerie Plame, his wife, who's a CIA agent, an active CIA agent, she was in the field, she got outed. So, uh, basically, George Bush committed his sentence. So even though he got, even though he was sentenced to 30 months in prison, he never served a day. And then Donald Trump, uh, this year, pardoned him. So now those convictions are no longer on his record. Look at somebody like Sheriff Joe Arpaio, right? Sheriff Joe was basically taking part in a racist program where he was detaining people based on suspicion of being illegal. So who do you think that that's going to affect the most? Hispanics. So he was basically, oh, you look like you're illegal. We're going to put you in jail. And they, the courts basically told him, please, stop doing that. And he basically publicly and defiantly said no. So he was held in contempt. He was supposed to get uh, prison time. Mm-hmm. And uh, Donald Trump stepped in and pardoned him. So here's the thing. You have a leaker, and you know how Donald Trump feels about leakers because he has leakers all in his organization, right? So a leaker of the highest order who outs a CIA agent, right? First of all, you outed the CIA. So you're lucky he didn't end up dead in his car like a, like a Russian journalist, okay? Second of all, you have a known racist, you know, the only, the only sheriff I know more racist than Sheriff Joe, possibly, uh, what's his name, the guy from Milwaukee, 
the, the black guy, Clark, I think his last name is, maybe him. It would have to be a fictional character like Buford T. Justice from the goddamn Smokey and the Bear movies. That's the only people I can think of who are more racist than Sheriff Joe. And he got a pardon from the president. But this man who's already served 20 years in prison for something that you don't get 20 years for. They put him back in prison to finish his ridiculous sentence. I, I don't know. Well, I do know how I feel about that. I was going to say I don't know how I feel about that. I do know how I feel about that. It's, it's a very, very disgusting thing that Donald Trump has done, you know, because, you know, when, when he pardoned Jack Johnson, right, which he did at, at the request of Sylvester Stallone, of all people. I mean, yeah, I know. I guess he did the Rocky movie, so, you know, I had all these black boxes in my movie. I guess I may as well pay homage to the first black heavyweight champion. Whatever, who gives a shit? But my thing is this. Um, you figure, after Jack Johnson was posthumously pardoned, you have uh, all these Trump fans, Clapping like trained seals. Like, see, how could Trump be a racist? You know, he just pardoned Jack Johnson. Yeah, well, like, and like you said, Odie, I'm pretty sure Jack Johnson, if there, is, if there is an actual heaven, I'm pretty sure Jack Johnson would smile down on us and appreciate that. But he's been dead for 70 years, so, so who gives a shit? Is somebody going to hire his corpse as, as a bouncer at the MGM? No. So shut the fuck up about the posthumous, you know. Like, yeah, see, he can't be possibly be a racist because he pardoned a dead black man and imprisoned a live one. So all y'all Donald Trump fans, which are thinly veiled racism, I mean, I'm going to be unprofessional. You can eat a dick. It's just impossible to reason with these people, and that's why I don't try. Yeah. So, uh... I, I don't know what to say. I, I will say one last thing, because I was going to talk about, well, at first, I was going to talk about Morgan Freeman, and then I wasn't, and now I am. <laughs> and I'm not even going to talk about his sexual allegations, because aside from him, I'm not going to say that what he did was innocent, because he made a lot of women very uncomfortable to the point where they were at least according to what they were saying, and then they were witnesses. So they interviewed 16 people in this investigation, eight of them were um, victims, and eight of them were witnesses, including uh, Alan Arkin, you know, famous actor. You know, they worked together on a movie, and even one time where Alan Arkin had to actually intervene with Morgan Freeman harassing one of the, the people on the set. So these women that worked with Morgan Freeman were, were at the point where they were just like, oh, shit. Morgan's on the set today. Let me go put on a bulky sweater so he doesn't make comments about my boobs, you know. And I think, I think the one where Alan Arkin intervened was when he was trying to lift up the girl's skirt, you know. So I'm not saying that what Morgan Freeman didn't do was wrong, but a rumor came up in this whole thing about his, uh, it's his step-granddaughter. I'm just going to call her his, his granddaughter for for ease, but it's a step-granddaughter, so they're not technically not related, even, even though he helped raise her. Oh, say again? I said you can help elevate the creepiness factor, too. Yeah. 
<laughs> but her, her name was uh, Idena Hines, and I say was because she was murdered back in 2015. Uh she was murdered by her boyfriend who was high on PCP. I don't know if she used drugs because they had been broken up for a while. So I don't know if she used drugs at all, but he was definitely high on PCP and he stabbed her to death. So uh, basically, he ended up, instead of getting murder, he got manslaughter. Now, manslaughter is not a slap on the wrist. Uh, he could still, I don't know what he was sentenced to, but manslaughter still carries a total sentence of 25 years. So it's not going to be a slap on the wrist, you know. But uh, there was a rumor for a long time that Morgan Freeman was sleeping with his granddaughter, right? It was a charge that both of them have denied over the years, right? In court, uh, when, the, uh, when the boyfriend was being tried, he said something kind of cryptic, like about like when they broke up, you know, something about what she called um, grandfather feelings. So now people took it as, oh, oh, okay, he was definitely sleeping with her then. Here's the thing about that. You know, maybe I watch too much TV, but the only way I could believe that he was sleeping with her is if either him or her came out and said, yeah, we, we, we were sleeping together. But as far as I know, and if there is something else that I'm missing, please, you know, we have our, our page on Facebook, Urban Breakdown, please uh, post something. Let me know if I missed anything, because I just started looking at this uh, today. Yeah, well, yesterday, you know. Because like I said, I wasn't going to do it because I was just like, oh, whatever. You know, it just, it is, I mean, I, I don't want to put women's, uh, uncomfortableness on the back burner because it's not fair because you're not supposed to treat women that way. So I would never say that Morgan Freeman is wrong or I mean, that, let's say that he wasn't wrong for what he did, but uh, in the age of Harvey Weinstein's and Matt Lauer's, you know, yeah, Matt Lauer has a, a mechanism in his office where he locks women in his office so they can't get out. You know, or Louis C.K., you know, cutting women off and jerking off in front of them. You know, it's, it wasn't on that level, but it was still creepy, you know, and it was still wrong. But I was like, yeah, there's, there's bigger stories out there. Because everybody's, you know, you know the hyperbole, the fall of an icon. Yeah, shut the fuck up, man. Jesus Christ. It's not that deep. Yeah, Julius Freeman was not all of that to me. Like, that's just my two cents, but okay. You know, I didn't... Maybe not now, but but I was like, I think the first role where I ever took notice of Morgan Freeman were the point where I was like, yeah, I like this guy, was uh, Lean on Me, uh, when he played uh, Principal Joe Clark. Uh, Principal Joe Clark? Yeah. Um, For me, it was Shawshank Redemption. Based on... Based on my experiences in America and being in multiple, multiple working perspectives, mm-hmm. military, private, pra- private practice, um, public um, service, government, um, state funded, um, privately funded, um, million dollar companies, 501s, upstarts, new starts. I can say about 80% of my males may have, that I work with in some capacity may have said something or, you know, 
It thought that the environment invited that. And, you know, if it wasn't, then, you know, that person had, the, the woman had the opportunity to say, oh, no, 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 no. But it's like now these things come out and it's like everything is damning, even though it can it be sexual harassment if the person didn't say, hey, I think that's sexual harassment. Why can't it just be old man flirting? You know what I'm saying? Right. And, and, and my thing is, is that uh, from what I've read, there has been some complaints, but some of the women didn't complain because they were afraid for their jobs. So they didn't say, now, to be fair, they didn't say that Morgan Freeman came up to him and told him, like, you know, like, kind of like Harvey Weinstein, said, hey, if you tell, you're never going to work in this business again. They never said that he said that, but they were afraid that if they uh, complained against the star of the movie or one of the stars of the movie, that it could look bad for them and they may not be put on to other jobs. So, but they never did say that Morgan Freeman threatened them with, um, you know, like, if you do this, you're never going to work in this business again. I, I was at a, a, a Waffle House one day, and there was this, like, this 75-year-old man flirting with this, like, she had to be maybe, like, 25-year-old waitress. And, oh, I'll stop you right there. Hold on. Yeah. Let's just know. 2018, we're not fucking with Waffle House no more. I've been told y'all to stop fucking with them. Oh, no, no. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't the Waffle House. It was a Waffle House. It wasn't the Waffle House. And it was years ago where I saw this. But this old man was flirting with this girl talking about, you don't know what you're missing. I got years of experience, girl, you know, just doing the old man flirting thing. But, you know, the way it was, in that interaction, it was just kind of like, all right, this is the old man trying to be like my um. My brother James, like, I grew up with him. So, you know, his, his father is very much like that. Like, when, you know, when, when, we go to the, when we go out to eat, yeah, that's him all day. Because he knows he's 70, you know, actually, damn, Mr. Brown is 83 now. But he knows, like, some 25-year-old girl ain't going to be on, on like that. So he could, you know, he could say what he wants to, you know. It's, you know, it was all in fun, but he never got, but he never got vulgar about it, you know? It was just more uh, playful, you know? And, and the same with this man who I saw in, 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 this, uh, in this Waffle House. Not the Waffle House, a Waffle House. <laughs> but um, he was just being playful, you know? So I, don't, I wasn't there, but like I said, the lifting up the girl's skirt thing, yeah, okay, please don't touch Morgan. You, you know better than that. You're, you're 176 years old. You should know better than that. But uh, I, I once heard a comedian say, uh, Patrice O'Neill, he said, men working with women is like bears working with salmon dipped in honey. And <laughs> you have to just look at this deliciousness all day. You can't touch it. You can't say that to it. <laughs> you know. But, I mean, it's, uh, you got to know your audience. You know, like you, and then like you said, Blue, to piggyback on what you said, it may just all be part of the culture, you know, because maybe if there were more stringent rules in place, maybe Morgan Freeman would know, like, hey, you can't do that. You can't talk to people on a set like that because it's not looked upon and you know that you will be reprimanded, you know, because no actor is expendable. That show, Lethal Weapon, along with Damon Wayans, the guy who played Riggs got fired, because he was a total asshole on the set. So they fired him. You know, he was the co-star. And they fired him. No actor is indispensable. None. 
So, but before I, before I move on to this one last quick thing, did you guys have anything to to, to add? Yeah, I just want to share this meeting I, I scrolled across. Morgan Freeman needs to be in two panels. The top one, uh, the top picture shows Morgan Freeman on the telephone, and the <laughs> bottom picture shows um, shows uh, Bill Cosby on the telephone. <laughs> and the top one says, well, Morgan Freeman, it says, what the fuck, Bill, you out here snitching? And then Bill Cosby responds, Morgan, I told you back in 72 that if they ever get me, they're getting us. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that today. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I love the internet, man. The internet has no getting good memes out of the fuckery. The internet has no chill. And you know what? Sometimes that's just A-okay. That's just A-OK. I know we only got a few minutes left, but I wanted to ask you guys feeling about the NFL and uh, making people stand for the national anthem. You know, is that going to help the NFL or is that going to hurt the NFL? I feel like all the white people that was beefing for Conlon last year um, didn't, like it wasn't enough. Like, I remember there being a protest not even black people, just black people, but all the people that had a problem with how Colin Kaepernick was being treated. And I'm just like, who else left is there, like, that's going to have a problem with this? I feel like they've lost a very specific window. And when I say they, I mean other people, that people that actually watch the NFL. Because I can't boycott what I already don't take part in. So right. for me saying, like, oh, I don't fuck with the NFL, that means nothing because I never did. But for people that did and then didn't proceed to protest or stop watching, it's like, well, what do you like, – like, you've lost that window of time to, like, really stand for something. So I don't I don't think now all of a sudden it's going to change. Right. I mean, Papa Jones did – I don't know. The NFL did, like, fuck, fuck up viewership, but – to be honest, we don't know if that was because white people were uncomfortable, so they stopped watching, or if that was because black people stopped watching. There was a dip, but we don't know really where that dip is attributed to. Right. And I don't know. it's basically a lot of these owners are afraid of Donald Trump, you know. And Donald Trump knows nothing of patriotism because you're talking about a man who. who Oh, say again? That motherfucker, I don't know why that motherfucker cannot do shit. Like, I don't understand. They're afraid that, because, you know, Donald Trump has total control over his followers. So if he tells his followers to boycott the NFL, they'll boycott the NFL, you know. And that's what these owners are afraid of, you know. Here's the thing. Right now, the right-wingers are trying to boycott Netflix because Obama and Michelle got a... uh, they got a deal on Netflix to produce uh, to produce shows. So now, of course, all these right wingers are going to boycott. Forget the fact that Sinclair Broadcasting owns like what, like forty, fifty, sixty percent of uh, local news stations across the country, and they spew uh, Republican propaganda every chance they get. That's okay because it's their propaganda, you know. But Obama is going to produce some shows for Netflix, and now all of a sudden they're in a, they're in a, you know, they're going insane. 
oh, I can't believe it, bro, man, whatever, you know. But Trump has total control over his people. So they'll boycott what he tells them to boycott. You know, if he tells them to boycott, they'll boycott it. If he told, if he told them to boycott oxygen, they would suffocate for him, you know, because he's what they've been waiting for for so many years, you know, the chance to go out and be racist in public, despite the fact that people are suffering the, the consequences. The lawyer that yelled at those people for speaking Spanish, uh, they kicked him out of his office because they were like, yeah, we're not going to sell to you no more. We're not going to rent you space anymore because you're a racist, you know. And people don't under, really understand that. But up until uh, a couple years ago, when they played the national anthem, the players were not even out in the field. They were in the locker rooms, and they came out after the national anthem. They started doing that because they got money from the military so they could get – because don't forget, you know, we have a volunteer army. So they have to advertise. So the best way to advertise is to have this fake patriotic horseshit and make people put their hand on their hearts and, oh, I love my country, I'm going to go die for it, you know, out in some desert on a total and complete lie. They don't tell them that part, though. <laughs> they don't tell them the part where they go out to die on a lie. They just tell them, you know, you know, join the army, son, it's for your country, you know, and then they – you know, have it in the football game because a lot of them watch football, you know. And they think, I want to be a hero and join the Army. And I have friends who are in the military now, you know. And they're not the whole redneckian, you know, all that bullshit. But, um, you know, they may join because uh, their parents were in the Army, you know. My, my brother joined because, uh, well, my friend, but, you know, I grew up with him. Uh, one of the reasons why he joined is because his brother was in the Army, you know, his, his brother is, is a career military man, you know, and he himself served in, uh, in, desert, in Desert Storm. He drove munitions trucks, you know. So um, he would have a different viewpoint on standing for the flag than I would, and I fully understand that because he was there. You know, he was in the military. And I don't mean peeling potatoes. I mean, he was in Iraq. So right. I, 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 I let that part slide. I mean, it's basically everybody has their own opinion about it, but the thing is, I don't have to stand for the flag. There's nothing in the Constitution that says I have to stand for the flag, and you can bet that some organization is going to fight that. But is it going to help them in the short term or even the long term? No. It's going to cause more trouble. Because they made the right to protest the First Amendment. The guns that all these hicks love so much is the Second Amendment, number two. Right? The right to free speech, the right to protest is number one. The First Amendment, the right to free speech. You are allowed to criticize your government if you feel they're not doing a good job, whether through, uh, through your voice, through a newspaper, what have you. You are perfectly allowed to do that. It is in the First Amendment. So the fact that a private organization can tell you otherwise is absolutely Ridiculous, because it goes against the Constitution. It doesn't go against some archaic union rule. It goes against the Constitution of the United States that these people hold so dear. I, I will bet you cash money that some of these dumbass hicks can't name more than two amendments. The first and the second. They probably couldn't name the third, the fourth, or the fifth. You know? And I'm not saying I could. You know? I'm not going to go ahead and say that, but I'm just saying that. Yeah. 
and and I mean, if they, if, if, if they put a gun to my head, oh, go ahead. I couldn't do three, four, and five, but if I know what one and two are. Yeah. And I always remember number two because uh, <laughs> my high school teacher, shout out to Miss Horton, although I'm pretty sure she would be a Trump supporter uh, or is a Trump supporter anyway. Shout out to Miss Horton. Uh, she always would say, number two, you have two arms. And so that's the right to bear arms. So I'll always remember number two is <laughs> something else. It's a good way to remember it. Yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous how these people think it's perfectly okay to go against the Constitution if it fits their narrative. It, does, it doesn't make any sense, you know. But you're right about one thing, Odie. You can't boycott what you're already boycotting. Because I haven't had cable in years, and I don't miss NFL football. If I didn't run two fantasy football teams, I would never even get on NFL.com. Because football lately, and especially with the whole concussion thing, and, you know, wife beaters getting a pass and stuff like that. And I will say, I did see an article yesterday, one real and one onion, which I thought was uplifting and hilarious. So the owner of the Jets said that if any of his players get fined for uh, for the anthem, uh, he will pay their fines. And then they had one on the onion where Jerry Jones said if his players get fined for... Uh, beating their wives or girlfriends that he would pay their fines. <laughs> so. But I, I think the whole thing is you can't force patriotism. Patriotism has to be earned. It has to be felt. You can't just force people to put their hand on their heart and just say, oh, I live in the greatest country in the world. You live in the greatest country in the world by, uh, I call it the Lil Wayne doctrine. Yeah, Lil Wayne sucks. But, he believes in his heart of hearts that he is the best rapper out there. And it's contagious because other people believe it too, you know. Even though Lil Wayne, I mean, yes, that's, a, that's my own opinion. Lil Wayne is garbage. That's my opinion. But, you know, he's, now he's winning like a Stevie Wonder amount of Grammys because the power of his own belief just spreads to other people. And that's kind of like America. People are like, this is the greatest country in the world. Uh, where's our education rank? Where's our police force rank? Where does our infrastructure rank? Where does our health care rank? Always at the bottom. This country sucks dog dick when it comes to the important things. But you know what we have the most of, more than any other country has, bar none? Billionaires. Which means if they have all the money, everyone else doesn't have any money. That's what we lead the world in, hands down, the number of billionaires. That's, when, that's where we are the greatest country in the world. When, if, if the only metric was how many billionaires do you have. So to me, saying that we're the greatest country in the world is lazy because then it means uh, you don't have to do any more work. You're done. And there is so much more work to do. We can be the greatest country in the world, but we just don't. So... So, kneeling, uh, standing for the national anthem does not make us the greatest country in the world. Taking care of your, of your fellow man, 
that makes you the greatest country in the world. And we're not doing that. Not even close. So uh, you can believe what you want to, but we got a lot of work to do. So. And uh, that is all I had. All right. Blue? Okay, well, I guess that concludes an episode, another episode of the Urban Breakdown.